The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. Yeah, old Michael Menduno just wrote an article for Dan Europe about Gareth. A little interview with Gareth about how to improve your diving safety and performance. So it's a nice little interview about Gareth, about his human factors stuff, and about the human factors conference that he's got coming up in September that we have graciously been invited to attend and be in the lobby of this virtual conference. Who would have thunk Great Dive Podcast would be on the cutting edge of, of the technological change and how people meet in 2021? I think we had a choice, James. Welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast, everybody. You're here with my good buddy, Under Pressure Brando. <laughs> and Captain Safety. James if only, no, if only James. <laughs> if only. And we are going to talk to you a little bit about your safety and human performance. Uh, discussing a little bit of a recent article by Michael Menduno in the Dan blog with Gareth Locke, who, like we just said, we are going to be in attendance of the Human Factors Conference coming up at the end of September. We hope you drop by and say hi to us in your course of walking through the halls and aisles of this virtual conference coming up. Have you been to a virtual conference? It'll be my first one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, unless you call our monthly Zoom parties a conference. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, it's more like a, a meeting of people with problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tuesday morning, I, I, I felt like I'd spent an entire day walking the, the halls of a conference. You stayed up. I uh, I had to tap out early. I always feel bad the night of if I have to tap out early. But the next morning, I'm tap dancing on you guys' uh, grave there because I feel pretty good. We hit the three-hour bell, and I, I called it not long after that. But I did wake up Tuesday reminded of why we switched this to once a month instead of once a week. Yeah, it was nice to see everybody. Uh, we, didn't, we, we were missing a few of the regulars, but um, we had some good folks there. Yeah. So coming up this September, the 24th and 25th, Gareth has a virtual conference that's going to look at the science of human factors, why it's important and how you can apply it to your regular diving activities, really at any level of diver from recreational to technical to whatever you are. And you'll probably start to find that you start to integrate it into some other parts of your life. Michael mentions that there's going to be nearly 30 world-class speakers from diving and other high-risk industries such as aviation and healthcare. 
and they're going to discuss uh, how they have created positive change. Sometimes when faced with significant challenges and how attendees can be inspired to create change in their own diving and their diving community. One of the speakers, anesthesiologist and editor of Diving and Hyperbaric Medicine, Dr. Simon Mitchell, has described human factors as the most important topic today for modern sports diving. And he gives us this interview here with retired senior officer, navigator from the British Royal Air Force, good old Gareth Locke, who has been tirelessly trying to bring aviation's rich body of knowledge of human factors and their impact on safety and performance to the sport of diving. He's got a company, The Human Diver, which offers in-person and online courses and webinars and his new book, Under Pressure, and the recent documentary, If Only, about a tragic avoidable accident that took place back in 2018 in a training course. And he's uh, slowly building himself a team of instructors teaching uh, human factors around the world. And good old Michael sat down and had a little interview with Gareth, kind of talking about these events that are occurring right now, taking place, and uh, this conference coming up. And we had the great opportunity to sit down and have our very first checkout dive interview was with Gareth back, uh, what was that, like two years ago now? Yeah, it's been a while. Hard to believe. Time flies. Well, that whole COVID year. Time flies when you're in a pandemic. Yeah, the COVID year really was like blanked out a whole bunch of time. Whenever you say, oh, yeah, that was a couple years ago, you have to say a couple years ago plus one because the COVID year was there where nothing happened. Yeah. So for years, you and I have taken a look with our training at like a kindergarten level, I guess, of human factors when we really started to bring in that concept of situational awareness underwater, right? Would you, would you say that's like the first real foray in, into where things are not at nowadays with human factors? Uh, yeah, I guess so. In, in a way. In a way, yeah. In a, in a roundabout it's, it's, way, yes. Indirect way. Because it's, it's a concept that first started introducing divers to the concept of you got to see the big picture. I mean, I think the biggest thing over the years, being involved in different forums, uh, scuba accident forums, things like that, and you look at what happens when an accident happens, you know, what happens on the forum, what happens to the discussion, where does the discussion go typically? And and it always ends the same way. So it meaning the blame goes on this guy or the blame goes on that guy and nothing is really happening as far as are we learning anything from these accidents because we're really we weren't we aren't when you just go okay this guy should have done this and you have everybody screaming all this shit right instead of what human factors does is say what was the behavior that caused the diver to to dive this way you know what was the the environment or the cause of the behavior what molded this diver into this way of thinking so that they took shortcuts they you know the, what they call that deviation that normalization of deviance you know what i mean right it's a, it's a bigger look exactly. at the problem it's not the problem in and of itself and so human factors is taking that step back to look at 
everything involved rather than the one actual mistake and who exactly. do we blame for that at that very moment. Yeah, instead of focusing on blame, it focuses on how do we change our the way we do things, whether it's training or attitude or how do you change this stuff? So Yeah, how do we it, how do we change our game knowing that we're human and we're going exactly. to make mistakes and mistakes are normal. How do we make it so that we have the open mind and the open awareness? And that's what I was saying, like how like situational awareness is what, what first like it's making part of that it. such a big deal in our classes. It, it really, in a way, get, gets you this ability to, to start opening your mind to think beyond yeah. scuba as being so linear in, in some ways. Right. You know what I mean? Is that, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I'm, I think it's difficult to explain without just explaining human factors like Gareth would. Yeah, because he, he says one of the difficulties about human factors is that it's such a wide topic, and it's generally applicable to many environments. At its highest level, it's how people interact with technology, with other people, and with the environment, along with things like training manuals, processes and procedures the goal is to make it easier to do the right thing and harder to do the wrong thing yeah he says one of the things that that has come out of the science of human factors and by the way he says it is a recognized science is understanding that our behaviors are massively influenced by the system in which we are operating so if you design a piece of dive equipment from strictly an engineering perspective you know how it's supposed to operate. But if an ordinary user gets a hold of it and consistently makes the same mistakes using the unit, well, that is a human factors issue. The problem is you have to take into account how a human will actually interact with it. Yeah. And he, and he says, similarly, <laughs> so that's how I would have. He says, similarly, if you're consistently having failures and faults or things keep going wrong with a training program, then it's not an issue of an individual student with a learning problem. It's a system problem. And so aviation and healthcare and oil and gas and nuclear industries have all recognized that we need to design systems with human performance variability in mind, which is really a posh way of saying we make mistakes. Posh? Posh. Really? Posh. James, I don't know if I've ever heard you use that word. Posh. It's a more it's a tactful way of saying we make mistakes. Well, that's the that's the big takeaway that I have with being introduced recently these last couple of years into Gareth's work is getting people to accept the fact that they're not perfect divers. Even some of the most accomplished divers, you know, are willing to say you're as good as you are. Everybody still makes mistakes. Yeah. Well, people take you, shortcuts. You get, you get a little, yeah, yeah, you make shortcuts. You get a little hot. You, you cut some corners to get into the water a little bit yeah. faster. And it's that snowball effect that I was, you know, bringing into earlier on about the situational awareness of right. how it's, a, it's a, that chain of events yeah. that leads to the big, the big problem at the end. It, it's like going back in the links of that chain to see, you know, where the first one started to crack rather than just looking at the problem at the end. Right. A lot of times it's the underlying behavior that was molded over many years of experience where they 
deviate from your norm and you live through it. Now you have a new bar. You deviate from your normal safety checks or whatnot and nothing happened. So you think, well, I don't need to do that anymore. So that's one aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. Gara says that we're not consistent in how we execute things. We're not consistent in almost anything. (laughs) Yeah. The human brain is designed to do things the quickest, easiest, most simplified way that it can to, to be as efficient and require as little work as possible. That's just the way we're wired. I don't know about that. I know a lot of people who try to do things as complex and <laughs> with as much work as possible. Well, they try to. Yes. They tr- and that's a good thing in, in many ways. <laughs> but I mean, like, when you when you fall into just your your subconscious taking over pattern your your brain weeds things down as the simplest as possible gareth says that if you design a system be it a hardware a training system or a process based around optimal conditions then you're immediately setting people up for failure because there's so much variability in the individual and group performance because you're you're basing the everything to be working on absolute perfection, and we know that rarely is everything ideal and perfect, and that's where it comes to what he does. He says to counter this, we need a form of feedback, a quality control or quality insurance inside a training system, or once you're outside of the system, an incident reporting system that allows you to capture the details. In the context of what happened, that tells a story of how it made sense for a user or a diver to do what they did. Yes. So you not only need that reporting system, but you need a system or a method of analysis that's A, uniform, and B, isn't just the blame game. Like, well, we, we analyzed this accident and we found out this diver fucked up. Well, why did he fuck up? Why did he do what he did? Or why did she do what she did? Why did they cut the corners? Where did that come from? Where did that behavior come from? You know, the other part of that is with the system, with a way of gathering that info, not everybody has to make a mistake to learn from it. In other words, if you have to make the mistake to learn from it, there's a lot of mistakes to be had out there. It could be, A, time-consuming, B, very inefficient, and one of those mistakes may cost you big. Yeah, absolutely. He says uh, you know, later on in here, they, they get to the point where he says that it's great to learn from your mistakes, but it's better if you can learn from somebody else. Stand on the shoulders of giants, man. That's what I've, right. I've said it from you the beginning. It all the yes. time. That's going to be on uh, the, the Brando T-shirt. It's going to be on my gravestone. <laughs> he should have he should have stood on the shoulder of a giant before he uh he jumped off he, that roof with the umbrella they, they should have known he normally deviated <laughs> from from rational thoughts it's, it's normal where he is now should have stood on the shoulders of giants yeah i think this mistake that he i think the way he died has already been done before so i mean there's key right there to find a completely unique way to, to go out that so you can at least teach the world something from your fuck up. You know, if it's already been done, you you don't want that. You need to really really put some thought into how you're going to fuck up. That's a that's a great philosophical <laughs> viewpoint actually. 
I want to leave the world a better place than when I came in. And how do you do that? Well, you teach. You teach something. And the way to do that is, I mean, the most impactful lesson would be leaving behind a lesson in how not to die from you fill in the blank. And I mean, there's a million mistakes being made every day doing, doing shit and people die from it. So it's really difficult to find that one that somebody hasn't done yet. That's what I'm going to work on. <laughs> so you, you might actually get a PhD for this. I get an honorary doctorate post, uh, posthumously. posthumously. Thank you. I, I, I like to use words sometimes. <laughs> Posthumously? Posthumously was what actually popped in my head. And that's why I could not get it out of there. So, yes, posthumously. But, like, when you, and I think right along the lines of what you're saying is, is where they're talking about right now is how you, you go on Facebook groups or the, any scuba board groups, and it's the blame game is generally all you get. And you get a lot of, especially newer divers in there, throwing their two cents in. And I'm not trying to discourage people from participating in a discussion, but but think before you type, think before you speak. Just saying, you know, this diver was a jackass. I'd have never done that. That a it doesn't help anyone. B you you don't you really don't know what happened from a report. You you weren't there. You really don't know, and that's why you need people like Gareth smart and the background in looking at this stuff, developing a system or a method of analyzing incidents that's a uniform. It can be applied across the board to many different uh, activities. Like Gareth applies his to the aviation industry, the medical industry, diving, and I'm sure he's got other things too, but those are the three that come off the top of my head when I think about what Gareth does. And that's why his human factors really filled a void and is filling a void in the diving industry that has been much needed for decades. You remember the early days, don't you? The, you, you, the forums, right. the Yahoo groups on accidents, the the deco stop board on accidents, all of these things, just people getting into these huge and, and it's one and it's one thing to uh you know just lambaste somebody on on a facebook group that's going to be you know lost in the breeze right you know you know in the millions of facebook posts you know in a week it, it's another one when you know it, this also carries over into the litigation end too of lawyers and lawsuits and somebody's got to be blamed so which is why for so many decades like an accident goes you know it it tries to get swept under the rug we don't tell anybody about it Mm -hmm. i would rather nobody hear about it rather than somebody learn from it and possibly all of us learn from it because i'm going to get the blame yeah so for years something goes wrong and it's ignored and, and thrown in a corner Thrown in the back of the closet. Yeah, I mean, it goes on to maybe one of the, uh, like the Dan accident report or something to that effect. But rarely is it examined, like, what created the behavior that caused the mistake. Basically, it's just looked at at the mistake. And you say, well, he held his breath when he flew to the surface. He was taught not to do that. Well, I think we have to look deeper. Yes, he made a mistake, but why did he make that mistake? Does it go back to training? Was he not trained well enough? And if he wasn't, Certainly. why? Why wasn't he trained well enough? How, does that, how do those people fall through the cracks? Right, because, I mean, there's not a single scuba instructor in the world 
that is going to teach you it's okay to hold your breath and swim to the surface. I don't know. You give them way too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> I, especially after that last right. little, you know, that little uh, Montana, was it Montana? Where they, with oh. the dry suit? Now, now, you look at that on its face, especially. And I know a lot of people know what, what we're talking about. And basically, it was uh, an instructor putting someone in a dry suit that had no training in a dry suit and never hooked up with their, their dry suit inflator and et cetera, et cetera. There's a bunch of things that when you read the story on its face and you read the, the actual court case, your jaw drops because of everything the instructor was doing. As fellow instructors, we go, what? Huh? But I, th- I think there's something missing there. Right. And that's the idea of, of what Gareth is bringing to us with right. the human factors of let's step away for a moment and not just look at the fact that you know this instructor killed this student because yes. nobody hooked up a dry suit hose. So many mistakes were made. Uh, how could you? Yeah. How could uh, how could you be so negligent? Yeah. Throw throw that person in the slammer for the rest of their life, and yeah. it should be a fifty million dollar lawsuit rather than looking at everything else. Yeah, and by the way, the the lawsuit was tossed or there were no consequences for that for that instructor. So either we don't know all the facts or there's something more to the story, but yeah, just looking that on its looking at that story on its face for an example. Yeah, there's so many mistakes that were made in the report, but why? Why were those mistakes made? It's easy to say that instructors uh, yeah. incompetent. Well, yeah, cuz it, it it was a easy to say that they were incompetent. Right, but there's factors of time, there's the factors of money, there's factors of environment, yeah. uh, there's factors of the other people involved like that, that are all interjecting into uh, you know, one person thinking one thing, another person thinking another thing. There's so much that can go into why that accident occurred. And Gareth's point of this is that you know, we all drift from that normalcy from time to time. Yeah, drift is a word brought up quite often in Gareth's work, that drifting. Well, he mentions in the article that he had just wrote an article called Drift is Normal, Being a Deviant is Normal. Here's why. There's a link to it in this Dan article that we're going through right now. And in it, he mentions that it's similar to normalization of deviance. But he says that we should consider a, another definition that's wider than just that individual rule and the look at the larger scale. He looks at uh, a definition from Diane Vaughn, who developed this when she was studying the Challenger shuttle disaster. She says that social normalization of deviance means that people within the organization become so accustomed to a deviation that they don't consider it as deviant, despite the fact that they far exceed their own rules for elementary safety. Yes, so it's the normalization of a shortcut or yeah, not following proper procedure becomes normal. Right. She says the, the shuttle program was risk managed right up until the point it wasn't, and then the Challenger crew were all lost. And Michael Menduno in the interview says that, so when we do make mistakes, we don't die from them. We need systems designed to prevent or help catch those mistakes and to minimize their overall impact. You need a, a, a mistake filter. <laughs> it's what you need. Yeah, and he, uh, 
he quotes a buddy of his from the U.S. named Todd Conklin, who said that safety is not just the absence of accidents and incidents. Rather, it is the presence of barriers and defenses and the capacity of a system to fail safely. You know you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. But how do you fail safely? Yeah, Gareth says we got to recognize that we're never going to have perfect humans. There's always going to be a possibility of something going wrong. Well, I think that's what makes us perfect. The very definition of human is is that you're not perfect, and that's why we're, if we're all robots, man, what fucking fun is that? So let's well, embrace I, I, I would our say, fallibility. I would I would say maybe that's not what makes us perfect, but it is it makes, what makes us, us perfect, human. perfectly human. Let me let me read. Okay, there. All right, I get you. Perfectly I, human. Uh, yeah, perfect doesn't mean the the absence of mistakes in this particular. You know, the absence of fuck-ups, the absence of whatever, you know. Yeah, it's, it's what makes us truly human, human right. is, is to know that we are going to make mistakes. And then, like, building a system that teaches you to look beyond just something so simple of one little mistake. And to think that once you've learned this, you'll never <laughs> screw up that mistake ever again. <laughs> But it's, uh, I don't know, maybe I, I guess it's something as simple as, you know, teaching a class and making a big deal about clipping off a long hose. Well, I was going to just point out, too, that that, you know, that that um, mistake filter, one of the mistake filters is a really good instructor, a really good teacher and a really good course where they push you because that's where you fail safely. You f- you are pushed to failure point in a safe environment under the supervision of an instructor that knows what the hell they're doing. So you have to have those caveats in there. But again, that's a place where you fail safely. And the more safe failures you have in a course, I think will lend itself to you learning. Let them happen in, under the, the supervision of an instructor so you can learn from them versus happening in the real world on a real dive where real consequences are bad. Yeah, no kidding. And to to realize that one mistake is part of the big thing and not having a huge reaction to a little mistake, knowing that you you can, you know, getting training your body to to task load and training your brain to task load and training your team to all task load so that little mistakes don't turn into huge problems is should be a key element of training right and that's what i meant by something as simple as like a so bolt you, snap, you yeah. the the bolt snap like clip off the bolt snap you make a big deal about clipping off the bolt snap and then the next step in that good instructor of that mistake filter i think is to then create the situation where as good as that person is at clipping off the bolt snap, I can still put you in a situation that I can make you forget to clip off that bolt snap and make the problem get worse for everybody and then still be able to work that team together to solve that next compounding issue. Yeah, and I think this is where a lot of confusion goes on with the um, students as it is viewed as you're picking on them you're, you know, presenting impossible situations. And, and then you have the students that say, can you give me a list of everything we're going to do so I can practice it and have it done perfectly for class so I won't make a mistake? You just want to say, just come to the class and dive 
and make the mistakes. You're supposed. This is the mistake filter, brother and sister. Right. Yeah. Because you said on the PDF you sent me <laughs> <laughs> that the uh, the pressure gauge was going to be unclipped after I forgot <laughs> exactly. to unclip my logos, not before. Like I didn't prepare. I, I wasn't prepared for that pattern. Well, that's what you're trying to create, right? right. Is, no, you the. As much as there is, you know, a, a system and a pattern, you have to be the the real way to to work that mistake filter is like comfort in the chaos of of knowing that nothing's perfect. Like it's as perfectly as you go through the motions, things go. I mean, how many times have you like? clipped off a long hose perfectly 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 and one time you, <laughs> you actually don't. by a yeah. like a one in a million shot you clip that clip like through the eyelet of the of a backup light yeah and it only is going to occur on the one time that that's going to be a major pain in are the you ass. Uh, then, are you talking about that last <laughs> <laughs> i didn't think anybody saw that <laughs> no i had to have you i had to just pull Hold my hands up and go, fix me. But how many times have you seen in training? I mean, it's not actually a one in a million. It actually occurs often. And the problem, or I should say the difference of what you're talking about is there's a way to react to it like that of, hey, this is beyond my control. Just take care of this real quick. Can't figure it out. (laughs) Versus what most people do is they, their brain goes totally to that point they fixate on struggling now with that clip because it, it, you can't as they're get descending, it up. James, as they're plummeting, yeah. exactly, they're plummeting. They've lost sight of everybody. Everything's gone, and they totally break down. Right now, who do you know? Who do we blame? The, the guy struggling with the clip, who do, or, or the My buddy like, watching him I'm go blaming away? An instructor. Was it his buoyancy? <laughs> was it an instructor before? The instructor that uh, passed was, me. <laughs> was it? Yeah. But I like what, how you put that too. The the calm in the in the chaos, as you said, uh, being calm amongst all the chaos. And uh, right when you said that, I immediately thought of my normal life here with the the four children, the guinea pig, the cats, the dogs, a crazy wife. Uh, it's chaos. The cal the calendar that's been the same for <laughs> four months that somehow always changes in your head. <laughs> Stop. Stop. If if you ever saw our calendar, like we don't have it here at, I keep calling this the new house, although we've been here for four years, but we had this calendar. It has, it has four months on it. Okay. It's a giant, a gigantic calendar. It's, it's a dry erase calendar that I made. You know, I put the permanent lines in it to make calendar. We put the dates up and we fill it in with different colors for different kids and the activities. There's not a single Blankety blank. I'm I'm saying blankety blank. I'm not swearing because I am. It used to drive me absolutely nuts. There's not a single day without marks in it, without a bunch of marks. Like you, you look at it, you're like, how do you even understand this? It's nuts. It's just every single day, every every single day. And you look at that and like, it's chaos. It's chaos. But thankfully, there's alcohol. There's alcohol to help with my calm. What you're saying is it's only natural that you forgot to pick your kid up from soccer practice yesterday. I can honestly say I have I never forgot any of the kids. However, I've done stupid uh, left things on the hood of the car because you're in such a hurry. Not a kid. 
<laughs> coffee, clothes. When you're driving down the road and you see a, a single shoe in the road, and you're like, what the fuck? How? Who? What? What goes on? That's me. That's us. That's, that's one shoe. One shoe. There was a pair on the roof of the car. Got my hands full, loading the car. I'm like, we got to be 20 minutes away from here in 10 minutes. Okay, I got, I got a 20, what normally is a 20-minute drive. I got to be there in 10 minutes. You know, peel out, shoes go flying, the coffee goes flying off the back of the car. You, it's crazy in the car, you know, the music, <laughs> kids screaming. My wife's yelling at me. I don't even notice that shit's flying out the back. <laughs> and then on the, we get there, we're like, where's, where's his cleats? He's like, I packed them. He's saying, I'm like, you're a lying little son of a, no, I'm kidding. I'm like, I don't know. You know where his cleats are? They're, they're in the road, as, as we discover on the, on the way back. But we only find one of them, you know. I'm like, what the hell? Anyway, that's the chaos. And over years of uh, dulling my reactions, I've actually become more calm within that chaos. And that's a great way to put it, James. Calm, calm in the chaos because you're, you're – and it's also perception of chaos, too. I mean, getting that bolt snap isn't really chaos, but it can cause the narrowing of focus – Right, Which, that's where the chaos occurs. Right, and then the snowball goes, right? Right, exactly. You know, keeping keeping your head up, keeping your breathing in check, mm-hmm. keeping your buoyancy, your teammates in check, your buoyancy going, and slowly letting the fight with the bolts that become part of all of that is the way to proceed versus diving into the bolt snap and forgetting about everything that's going on is only going to lead to that accident chain running out of control exactly so i I don't know if we're deviating uh, from our main topic but no not not really because he says hey he says because he's let me do this paragraph that will take your break how did you know he says (laughs) i I could tell we've been we've been together too long because he says you complete me we got to look we have to learn to look at both sides of the accident event that takes place there's something that could go wrong what do we do to reduce the probability of occurrence so that it's as low as possible, but noting that you're never going to get to zero unless you just don't dive anymore, right? Yeah. I mean, but that, to me, that's, that's a big one. That's not a zero. That's a, that, that's a big mistake. You can't just quit. I mean, if we have that attitude, right. we just won't do anything. Yeah. Humans won't do anything. He says, we then look at what could happen. Or, you know, an accident has happened, and consequently, how do we make sure it's not a catastrophic failure? Right. Fail safely or safer. Exactly. And that's, that's the, the goal and the quest that he's been on with adding human factors into our game underwater. So Michael asks Gareth, what about the recreational diver? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're seeing a lot of this occurring in the the technical dive community no doubt about it um but what about just for the recreational divers and gareth says you know yeah yeah there's a lot <laughs> you know, yeah. Says, yeah brilliant <laughs> question right there's a lot happening in you know, like recreational divers now starting to realize this as well i don't think he said it like that though james i think it was more like spot on mate <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant, mate. A spot of tea for that, eh? With me Beatles. (laughs) 
Gareth's probably re- if Gareth hears this, I'm sorry, Gareth. I butchered your accent. You're much more well spoken than that. I don't think he'd ever say a spot of tea with me Beatles. <laughs> no, he's a Zeppelin fan. <laughs> I threw you off, didn't I, with my uh, yeah, my yeah, accent. you got me all yeah. trying to find. But Gareth says. They're all recognizing that there are things that they could do better in terms of their decision-making and understanding how they make the decisions that they do. Communications is a potential critical failure point because that's how we pass information along, he says. When we're stressed, we make greater assumptions on the part of the other people. We cut down the conversation and make the assumption that the other person knows what we're talking about. It's a teamwork issue. Who's doing what, when, and why, and what happens if something goes wrong on a dive? And that doesn't matter if you're doing a technical dive or a recreational dive. You need that critical brain work amongst the people you're in the water with. And that's what takes, the, That's what takes. in my opinion, I mean, that's what takes the hard work of really becoming a diver. It's not learning how to clear a mask. It's not learning how to donate a regulator in an air share. It's, it's, that, it's that ability to communicate underwater and make sure that all those question marks are taken care of. I'd agree 1,000%. And part of that, just like on the top side, communication between people is enhanced by uh, being with them more often. Do you ever see you know, good friends or uh, a good married couple? A lot of... A lot of times they can answer each other you know, other's questions before they even say it, really, you know? And that's the same thing underwater. The more you're with that person, the more communication is enhanced. Yeah, like right? I just knew you wanted a coffee break. Exactly. Well, you could see. <laughs> you could hear it in my voice, the trembling. Do you know where the coffee break came from? The whole idea of the coffee break? It's like... Increased worker productivity, probably, I would imagine. Well, it was, but it, it's not as old as you might think, and it and it happened. Um, or it was a. It came from the mind of a marketing guy. No, no, it was actually a woman suggested it because productivity. It was during the war, the war effort, World War Two. Uh, women were taking over a lot of the men's jobs here in the states, uh, doing different type of tasks, right? Um, I'm trying to remember the exact business this was, but the the gist of it was they took over and they were doing beautiful work, but they were much slower than the men were. The men are brainless. We'll just keep doing the same task over and over. The women were really, they put their heart into it and they were much more detail-oriented and they were doing the job probably even better than the men, but not they weren't keeping up with production. So they thought they were getting tired. So they, they said, well, we'll give you a, uh, we'll talk about a break in the day. And one of the women said, what about a, a, coffee, a coffee and tea during our breaks? And they gave him two breaks a day and, and production soared. And that, that's where it was birthed and then it became known as the coffee break. They get their coffee breaks twice a day. And that's you know when they were really learning, wow, coffee increases production. So you get a coffee break. 
Anyway, not to devi- That's I'm deviating. That's, I'm drifting. That's called, I'm drifting right That's now. called Brando's normali- <laughs> normaliz- <laughs> normally deviating on us once again. But a little tidbit of trivia. And the only reason I bring it up is because I just read it like two days ago. I thought it was kind of interesting where the coffee break came from. Okay. So... Let's try to get back on track. Oh, here we go. How many I'm times? Start, how many times have you said that? I'm going to start back at the beginning. I'm, I'm, I read this the, article today. <laughs> right, it's called "How to Improve Your Diving Safety from." I, <laughs> I want you to to reintroduce. I think we need to reintroduce our, ourselves here. Hey, it's the Great Dive Podcast, and you're here with. Let's get back on track, James Z. <laughs> <laughs> and normally deviating Brando. There you go. See, I like that intro a little better. All right, there we go. But, uh, you know, so they talk a little bit about how in the technical community and in the cave diving community, you know, having having the ability for somebody to thumb a dive, you know, they, they, they carry off their conversation a little bit, is normal. But it's not really taught in the recreational end of having that psychological competency to realize that something's going wrong as a new diver and be able to say to all the other people that you're with the more experienced divers the dive master the instructor to see something as a new guy and go this isn't right let's take it home sort sort things out and maybe come back and do another dive later right that it's you're taught to follow your leaders in recreational scuba. And that's one of the things that that Human Factors is going to help improve is that ability to have that psychological awareness on a dive that's accepted the more higher and higher ranking you get out of the recreational world. But it's something that the recreational divers need to understand just as much. Yeah, I think they're very susceptible to, to peer pressure when you watch the new divers. They... Uh are looking at everybody else, looking for cues on behavior, how they should be acting, right? Especially when they look towards the older veterans. So which, uh, sad to say, a lot of the older veterans <laughs> would would jump in with duct-taped hoses and, ah, fuck it, you know, I'm leaking out of here, whatever. Just jump in and go. Right. Yeah, I, I get you. I get you. It's, But you got to think of, like, that. that's often what I think is, what do all these new guys think when they're looking at me in the water? And am I set, setting a good example? Because they're thinking they're, they're, his they're, hair, they're clocking that his away. hair is beautiful. How, how does his hair stay now, perfectly that, slicked that, back that, underwater? <laughs> That's what they're thinking, James. It's a it's called a commitment to excellence, <laughs> Brandon. No, it's called five W thirty or ten W thirty. Yeah, it's called pomade. <laughs> But Michael says to him, yeah, we need to be able as divers to be able to question what's going on at any point in the dive. Exactly. And it's easier said than done. Everybody says you've got to have that capability to thumb the dive, to question uh, behavior or uh, procedures. You have to have that ability. But yes, in tech diving, in in many tech diving classes, not in all of them, though, but they do teach that. And I think they go more than just the cursory mentioning it in training. They actually try to put it into effect, right? Try to 
give scenarios or ask the student, like, when would you thumb this dive? When would you say, I'm not jumping in the water? Right. But on the open water and the recreational there. level, that, that's not really no. taught at all. No, they say you can, right? you can thumb the dive anytime you want. They say it. But they don't teach somebody how to make that decision, which is where the problem is, right? Because as a recreational diver, like you're, you're not going to step in the way of a bunch of instructors and dive masters and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You think this is a good idea? (laughs) You're going to feel like an idiot. Yeah. A number of stories we've talked about involving instructors and students and in looking at them from uh, the hindsight, obviously, you can see where the student had reservations about doing anything. Of course, it's hard, right. it's hard to filter out the reservations from nervousness to a real potential problem. Right, but if the culture has never been established exactly. that it's okay for that student to make the question right. versus it's always do what I say when I say exactly. it. Exactly. Do as I say, not as I do, or even, you know, it, it's, it makes it hard. Well, just like that. But what, what Gareth yeah. and Michael are having the conversation of right now is that, no, man, it, it's applicable in all diving, recreational diving as mm-hmm. much as technical diving anywhere. Well, look at our... We, we need to have like a, a, a place where instructors and dive masters and boat captains all agree that we should have this open discussion with the new guys as well so that they learn a, a comfort in that from the beginning. Yeah, just look at our last uh, our last episode with the, the student doing a complete open water class without confined water, in open water, in 60, 80 feet of water, right? <laughs> or 40 feet of water, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, you know, just because you're shallow doesn't mean you're void of risk. No, you're still underwater. You can't breathe yeah. there. That's not human <laughs> capability yet. I'm working on it. Are you... Have you become an investor in that new uh, aqu- aqu- aqua breather hydroid helmet mask? Is that, is that what you mean by that? No. I mean, a couple of years ago, I was teaching a class down at our training quarry. And, I mean, there was a guy that died in 25 feet of water in full tech diver gear. You know, in, you know, in doubles. I mean, everything, I mean, he had over 200 cubic feet of gas on him and died just just off the dock in 20 feet of water. You know, so it doesn't mean that, like, staying shallow means I'm safe. Right. You can just be blatantly abusing when you look at some of our past accident report studies we've done, a lot of the fatalities are occurring to new shallow open water recreational divers so it's not a matter of yeah it's not a matter of uh this is something that i need because i'm now going to become a technical diver exactly i mean you can't stress that enough actually i think it's even more critical that we look at it and we begin this teaching i don't want to say how to think but we start teaching this behavior and attitude from day one of open water 101 well yeah i mean how about even so much as when an instructor swims from platform one to platform two and loses three divers along the way, and it's the student's fault, right? My fins say clearly on the bottom, follow me. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get lost? But yeah, I mean, mistakes can happen anywhere. Underwater. Yeah. Anywhere. 
topside underwater. Yeah. And a lot of times the mistakes begin topside. And again, like I say, I it would be uh, extremely beneficial to start to ingrain this at that very base layer of your pyramid of, of knowledge of of diving, which is how I kind of look at diving education. It's a pyramid. And that base, the very bottom, that needs to be solid and it needs to be the uh, the critical fundamentals and attitude and, and behavior, you know, thought, behavior, thinking, attitude, thinking, and behavior are key. Yeah, Gareth says that the whole point of these programs is to set people up for success so that they can make better decisions and they can communicate more clearly. The idea being that they can develop their own knowledge so they've got the experience to be able to question or challenge in effect, they're learning from somebody else's mistakes. There's a quote that I put on one of my early marketing posters, which said, it's great to learn from your mistakes, but it's better to learn from somebody else's because you can't make all those mistakes yourself. You can try. <laughs> you can give I've, it a, give it a I've shot. I've been going at it for years. <laughs> but he says, you know, th- that's one of the biases that we have as humans is that we tend to say, hey, I'm not like that. I'm different. You know, I wouldn't make those mistakes. I know good divers that say that. I think, and that's what Gareth is saying, it's human nature kind of. Like, uh, we get caught up in that, you know, as a, as a mass of, of humans. Here's the greatest thing you can tell yourself is look in the mirror and go, I'm not special. I'm not special. I know your mommy has been telling you different. But you look in the mirror and say, you're not fucking special. You make mistakes and you're going to make mistakes. So stop thinking it can't happen to you or you wouldn't do that. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, we are all 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 human (laughs) beings. We're all fuck up human beings that have just on any given day to make any of these same mistakes. And it's one of the uh, nice things about the military is you learn real quickly. You are not special. You are replaceable. And I know people are like, when my mommy said I was special, Uh, you're not. You're not. Maybe to her, in her eyes, you are special. But in the world of the world, (laughs) right, you are just Uh, another. (laughs) I think that place is called reality. (laughs) Yes. You are not special. You will make mistakes. You do make mistakes. And it can happen to you. And if you keep the attitude that it can't, it will happen to you. That's Murphy. Yeah. And I think what Gareth was bringing up about, we do have that individual bias about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to bring this understanding of that social normalization of humans are humans. And humans make mistakes. And if we sit there and keep putting together a system that's based on everybody doing the right thing when the right thing needs to be done instead of looking at every one of these steps as a possibility of something going wrong and just hoping that it's never going to is we're just setting ourselves up for more problems in Mm -hmm. the future. Agreed. Now, Michael says to him, you've introduced a couple of terms to the diving lexicon, psychological safety and just culture, and asks him to elaborate on those a little bit. Gareth answers him by saying that psychological safety, which is a proactive bit, that's the environment we create that attempts to stop or minimize adverse events or accidents from occurring. We feel included. We feel we can make minor mistakes and learn from them in a positive way. We are able to contribute as part of a team. And ultimately, 
We can challenge the plan if things are going wrong. That's the proactive side. And he says the just culture component is the reactive side. It requires that psychological safety that we were just talking about. But if we have had an accident or made an error or something went wrong, people will judge us for being incompetent. The idea of a just culture is recognizing that everybody is fallible and makes mistakes. It's very easy to focus on what went wrong, but that rarely helps us learn. We need to be able to understand how people made the decisions and took the actions they did at that time so that we can learn from them. And that's what he means by just culture. Yeah, the just culture thing has become more and more accepted, if that's the right word, but it's actually, it's out there more. Over the past decade or so, people are starting to look at accidents and instead of just immediately pointing a finger, they're trying to analyze the the behaviors and the system in place that caused the person to behave, you know, the way they did. But it's still, I mean, the blame game is still out there. Right. But it's like, like 10, 20 years ago, that's all there was. And uh, I think, you know, Garrett's been doing a good job of starting to open people's minds to understanding this, right? Because he's smart. And the, the people that do the blame game thing, and I, I mean, I've been there. I've been, especially my early days, I would read a report and go, well, what the fuck were they doing here? Why were they doing this? You know, it seems so apparent, but it took a smart guy to look at this stuff and say, listen, saying that he didn't have the correct weighting is easy, but why didn't he have the correct weighting? That will prevent it. You have to learn why the behavior is there. Why did he make them? Why did he do the fuck up that is at the cornerstone of the the fatality and that's that's where the the whole just culture thing comes and looks at analyzing what caused the behavior yeah Garrett and Gareth mentions that it's we're starting to see it more and more in the community on little stuff right but there's still a tendency like we just saw you know, on the the case that you're talking about yeah the montana about. one when it's a when it's a big one it's you know, people go back right to that blame. Yeah, game. everybody chimes in, James, and and a lot of them don't have the experience, knowledge to <laughs> really be chiming in. It's very easy to say, "Oh, this instructor did that, and that student did this wrong, and they did this wrong." Right, because they go back to their own individual bias that we talked right. about a minute ago. It's easy for me to go, "Well." <laughs> <laughs> I, I would never do I that. would never have a problem with a bolt snap. I don't make those kind of mistakes. But that's where you've set yourself up for the, the potential down the road. Is the, smart, the, the smart way to go is realizing that at, on any given day, at any given mm-hmm. moment, I could easily make a dumb mistake. I could fuck up, yeah. That's, and that's what I like about a couple little built-ins that we do. I mean, we have rule six, and everybody, the rule six is, you know, you want to look cool. It's a fun little saying, but it's way deeper than that. It's way deeper. Yes, and, and it builds a behavior, it builds a mentality and an attitude of your diving. So it's very helpful as a mistake filter. It catches things before they, they snowball. Exactly. Right? And it, it's, it's as much as it is about looking good and looking cool underwater, that's the real underlying component of it is having your shit together. 
being yes. aware, not letting you know a spool dangle out of a pocket because mm-hmm. you thought you tucked it in and it fell out and you can't see that and nobody right. else picking it up. And then later on, uh, that spool is now tangled everybody <laughs> into a ball of shit. Yeah. <laughs> A ball of shit, eh? Yeah, so we have that one. We have, you know, Murphy is my always my invisible dive partner. Yeah, I always dive with the team, with a buddy, but I actually always dive in threes, at least threes, because Murphy is my invisible dive partner. And Murphy basically is, if something's going to go wrong, it's going to happen at the worst possible time and when you least expect it and under the worst possible conditions. It's always going to be the worst it possibly could be. So if you have Murphy with you, you constantly are vigilant on keeping Murphy in check. It's fun in a way of, you know, you, you chuckle about it, but it has a very big effect on the way you do your diving or whatever it is you're doing. Well, yeah, it's just the, the assumption of always starting with the idea that this might not be an ideal day. And what do I do if? What do I do if? Rather than just getting into into the water or getting into your activity, thinking everything's going to be happy, holding hands, hunky-dory, everybody's smiling. Look how perfect the s'mores came out. Everybody just yeah. pass around a s'more <laughs> and let's sing a song because it's perfect. You got s'mores and songs. Your diving sounds more like a Bible camp jamboree. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly yeah. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! Satan be gone. Yeah, Gareth says that although we're growing, we're not there yet. Are we ever right? going to be there? Are we ever? We're like an asymptote. You're never going to reach perfection. You, you're gonna you're gonna have that that curve approaching the line, but it never reaches that line. You're never going to be there. That's again go back to what I originally said: is our imperfections make us perfectly human. So. Yeah, we're never. Yeah, but as as we slowly start to change the community, we're going to get closer and closer to that just culture Mm -hmm. where we can get out of that blame game. And he he mentions in here that uh, there's a quote from Dr. Nancy Levison, who is a professor of the systems engineering at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, um, that she says that blame is the enemy of safety. But yeah, this is a cool little article that you guys should go ahead and check out. We, we kind of uh, paraphrased and perused through it. Uh, there's a little bit more in there to read. They go on to talk a little bit more about the actual upcoming Human Factors Conference that's coming up. Like again, uh, the uh, 24th and 25th of September, where he's going to have, he said about, 30 people on there, you know, talking. Um, he's got, again, Dr. Simon Mitchell's going to be there. Um, a lady uh, from uh, British Petroleum who came in after the big Deepwater Horizon disaster a few years back. Uh, an astronaut trainee, ex-commercial airline pilot, a guy from uh, the Norwegian military, Um guy from uh northeast public safety divers you know coming in and doing a whole bunch of stuff you know just talking about you know human factors in their industry and and how they're starting to adopt it into their different industries and how that will work as it makes its way more and more into into the scuba world we're going to be there 
hanging out in the lobby where uh, you can kind of talk. You can talk and socialize. Uh, I guess it's a. It's, it's an open be bar. Interesting. In fact, <laughs> there is an open bar. There's a virtual bar. He says, you know, that you can uh, hang out and have cocktails. Uh, is, it a, is there a cigar virtual. lounge? <laughs> uh, there is. There's a cigar lounge around back. Nice. But um, it's going to be fun. I, I'm kind of interested in to see how how the format works out. It's uh, going to be pretty cool. It's. Um, Eight hours a day over two days, presenters all over the globe, uh, live, you know, live, virtually live, virtually face to face, you know, where you can, it, so it's, it's pretty slick, you know, how, uh, how it's going to go. So yeah, you can, um, you can go to human factors and diving conference. I'm sure if you Google that, uh, you'll find it or it's hf in dash diving-conference.com is is the link but yeah we'll, we'll try to throw we'll a link a up link. on our you know show notes of of or the description of this show or you can always go over to garris website the human diver too so you can... all right everybody uh we will see you next week maybe at the conference too stop by and say hi to us uh should we sign logbooks brando yeah, we better sign logbooks. Okay, Brando, I can tell you've been under pressure lately. <laughs> nice dive, though. Dear Jamesy, stop blaming me. All right, everybody, we'll see you next week. Safe diving, folks.